This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting that Governor Ron DeSantis has drawn the ideological battle lines. This wokeness, it's a religion of the left, and it's infecting a lot of institutions, corporate, big corporate America, big tech, the bureaucracy, uh, all these, of course, academia. More on the governor's speech to the Common Sense Society in a moment. What makes this Florida legislative session different from those that came before? I think it's just a residual pandemic uh, hangover, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. Sunrise checked in with Florida politics' newest legislative reporter, Gray Rohr. And let's just say this legislative session is not his first rodeo. The interview a little later. But first, Governor Ron DeSantis was on the offensive when he gave a speech to the Common Sense Society holding its conference in Palm Beach. This wokeness, it's a religion of the left, and it's infecting a lot of institutions, corporate, big corporate America, big tech, the bureaucracy, uh, all these, of course, academia. Uh, It is wokeness a form of cultural Marxism. The goal is to delegitimize the founding of this country, the principles that the founders relied on, our institutions, our constitution, uh, to tear basically at the fabric of our society. And they want to replace it with effectively left-wing ideology as the founding ethos of America. That would be a disaster. But the governor didn't stop his bashing of wokeness at disaster. He quickly moved to danger, particularly to the conservative movement. This wokeness is dangerous, and we've got to defeat it on all fronts. If you look at the agenda of the left right now, if they had just a few more U.S. senators, what would they have tried to do? Pack the Supreme Court, abolish the Electoral College, make D.C. a state so you get two radical senators for life, ballot shenanigans and ballot fraud. That is not an agenda that many Americans are talking about over their kitchen table. They're talking about inflation, education, crime, all those other things. That is an agenda of an ideological movement uh, that wants to render the conservative half of the country second-class citizens. And Governor DeSantis said it must be understood that this is a fight. And so they are playing for keeps. This is a very vicious ideology, and it requires us to understand what's right and what's true. And obviously that's discussed in an organization like this. But given what we're facing with so many institutions that are hostile uh, to basic ideas of freedom, uh, it requires you to show a little backbone in these fights. It requires you to demonstrate courage. When society is unmoored from the truth, those who speak the truth are the ones that are going to earn the wrath of those who are defending the discredited regime. And so that's what we see in this country now. Uh, And I can tell you this, in Florida, every single thing we've done to make this state successful, we earn the, the wrath of the woke left time and time again, and we beat them time and time again, and we're going to continue to do that. So our goal is make sure you're standing strong, do not back down, Nothing that is worth achieving is going to come easy. Uh, We are going to have to fight for this country. We're going to have to fight for our freedoms. Florida has been the vanguard and the leader, not just in the United States, but really around the world. The number of people that have written into our office is really incredible. So I will be here uh, in the state of Florida holding the line. 
I am going to be standing my ground. We've accomplished an awful lot in the state of Florida, but I can tell you this. We have only begun to fight. Starting last week, Gray Rohr has been covering the Florida legislative session for Florida politics. Gray's no newcomer to the Florida legislature, though having worked the beat before for the Orlando Sentinel and others. Sunrise caught up with Gray after his first week on the beat, a week that saw him break stories like the Senate president's support for a $15 minimum wage for state workers. Our first question, how is this session different from others he's covered? I think there's still some lingering pandemic um just uh i think just a residual pandemic uh hangover i guess uh for lack of a better term there unlike last year there's no um uh no real protocols in place uh sort of in keeping with governor DeSantis's sort of uh um hands-off uh, approach and, and, you know, no mandate sort of approach to to the pandemic in general. Although I will say for some reason there's still separated seating in the, the Senate um, <laughs> um, meeting uh, places and areas. So I think that's still in place. But other than that, it's hard to think of a, uh, a thing. And then, of, of course, people do their own, you know, wearing masks and stuff like that. So, um I think that still makes it different from a quote-unquote normal um, session, but, you know, these days the entire concept of normal is being completely distorted anyway. So, Speaking of that, one of the stories of the beginning of the session was there were, you know, an absence here, an absence there. Some people said that they were out because they had COVID. Some people didn't. And then you've got, you broke the story this week about Webster Barnaby. He's gone and he's going to be gone for a little while. Yeah. It's uh, still sort of a a mystery as to um, exactly why he was at, he's been out as far as I can tell since, at least since the beginning of the session. And, um, you know, got a hold of a letter that he basically asked and requesting to, to be excused for at least until February 7th. And so don't know exactly what it is, but it's, you know, he, he's been out longer than his colleagues who've had COVID and, and since returned had, had been out. So, you know, don't like to speculate, but it does seem like it wouldn't have been that um, necessarily. Um so it's it's just sort of a mystery and you know obviously you know wishing the best and full recovery and what you know whatever's going on but um uh he is you know somebody that's that's been out at, at least as far as i can tell like i said since the beginning of the of the session yeah i guess I, i've become probably inaccurately accustomed to when uh somebody's got an issue they immediately tell you about it but not necessarily so in these instances i guess right exactly um you know th- there were other members that you know had COVID and you know e- either didn't announce it or you know maybe they just don't have a uh uh, high-profile social presence presence on social media or whatever, so it wasn't really noticed if they if they did put it out there. Um, so, uh, you know, these days everyone's medical information and, and stuff is fairly sensitive. Uh, so it's you know, it, as far as I can tell, it's on each individual member to you know say whether or not they've 
tested positive or or what. So it's it's sort of a um, case by case basis. This uh, session on. Not unlike other sessions, Democrats are finding, you know, it's a rough road to hoe to get, you know, anything done or to block anything that's been proposed that they're opposed to. We watched all the Democratic senators walk out of a subcommittee hearing that was there to confirm the Surgeon General. You seen anything like that in a while? Not in a while. Um, not for a, uh, a, a confirmation, uh, certainly. There's been walkouts in the past over, you know, certain legislation. Uh, you know, I think the the biggest one that I can recall uh, is, you know, Democrats um, walking out on the on the on the floor over Medicaid expansion. I think this is in the House, House Democrats. I think this is back in 2013. Um, as far as snubbing an actual confirmation, it, it's hard to. Um, think of one and of course you know it's still going on he's got another committee to to go to and then a a floor um confirmation as well so you know we'll see what happens is that an indication of frustration level overall with the democrats in the process now or do you think this is a one-off for them well uh i think the walkout itself is probably attributable to at least to the lack of, at least in part to the lack of and uh, quality of answers they were getting or not getting from, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Ladapo. But, um, you know, being a Democrat in Florida up here, you know, th- there's some level of frustration that's already baked in that they already know, you know, that they're, they're going to get. Um, I think, you know, um, reading between the lines, that it just sort of boiled over during the the session. I, I'm not sure exactly if this was planned out or or not, but um, you know, they it certainly rose to a level that uh, more more frustration than usual bubbled up. I, I'd say. And then on the other hand, um, when it comes to uh, redistricting, uh, the maps could be a lot worse for Democrats, the one drawn up by the Senate, uh, the House also. Um, the governor threw out a map, which was kind of unusual, and they don't seem to be responding to that. Why is that happening? Yeah, that's tricky. On the on the governor one, you know, typically this is a legislative, completely legislative process, and, you know, the governor ends up, you know, rubber stamping what what comes out because the the process itself is so fraught with with politics with you know everything else uh that 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 entails as far as you know getting consensus even within your own caucus because i think it's been pointed out by um one of our reporters this week that something like 18 19 you know, incumbents are drawn in the in the same district or or appear to be, and so you know, just the act of doing it itself is so you know contentious within the chambers that usually the executive sort of stays out of it. You know, they put out a statement saying that you know he has to approve of the congressional maps. Um, he really doesn't have a say over any of the legislative maps, so. Um, you know, it, it was it did come as a surprise, and you know, 
it wasn't a surprise that they didn't really take him up on that. And, you know, we'll see if they, um, you know, pass a match that uh, the governor ends up agreeing to or not. If, if he likes to veto it, then, you know, there is something in the state constitution where he um, can veto it and, and then order them back um, for to, to draw some some maps so that would be pretty historic if, if that happens I don't believe that's happened before and one last thing I was watching yesterday a hearing on the abortion law that would uh, ban abortions after 15 weeks do you find it a, a, a little ironic that politicians who are lobbying for public comment at school board meetings to be offered and pretty much be unrestricted, that they can't seem to fit any public comment into these hearings like that one, where there were a lot of people who wanted to have their say on that, and they ended up uh, kicking them all out. Yeah, I mean, you can see both ways of, you know, obviously everyone has a right and should have a right to, to speak and have their, their voice heard. On the other hand, um, you know, meetings can last only last so long. And, you know, you know, who decides how long each person on each side gets to speak and for, and in trying to keep order on such a contentious issue as well. Um, I, I also point out that, you know, the, um, having, um, rules for for everyone else in, in local governments and and different rules for themselves and the legislature is you know really nothing new um as far as you do public comment whether it's uh or um you know open records uh you know a lot of legislative drafts and stuff like that aren't subject to open records so it wouldn't be the first time that they um, apply a different set of rules to themselves versus the ones they want to apply to others. So you've covered a lot of these things. Do you just take a deep breath and then exhale 60 days later? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you got to keep breathing throughout the whole thing or else, you know, you just sort of pass out. Well, uh, Gregor, I appreciate the time and uh, uh, do keep breathing. I didn't mean to suggest (laughs) you hold your breath. (laughs) No worries. Thank you. We may be heading into the fourth week of the legislative session, but it's the first day on the job for Representative Daryl Campbell, who won a special election to take the House District 94 seat January 11th. Campbell traveled up to Tallahassee from Broward County last week, but then there was word that the Florida Department of State, which oversees elections, would not certify Campbell's win until March. Of course, the session ends in early April. But then late Friday, the Department of State reversed course and sent the certification to House Speaker Chris Sprawls. That means Campbell can take his seat. My focus is going to be learn the process, understand the rules to engagement and figure out where can I come in to make a difference and make a change. I know I am behind the eight ball on on a lot of the issues and a lot of the matters that have been discussed prior to. And I'm just going to play catch up and do the best that I can. Campbell starts his official duties today, and there will be a ceremonial swearing-in on the House floor Tuesday. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. Democratic Representative Felicia Robinson and representatives of several groups will hold an online news conference to oppose a bill that deals with issues like race-related instruction. The bill is an outgrowth of Governor Ron DeSantis's push to prevent the use of critical race theory. 
The Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee will take up a proposal that would make it clear that the governor can bypass the state cabinet in appointing the secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection. Questions were raised last year after Governor DeSantis unilaterally named Sean Hamilton as secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection after previous picks for the job got signed off from the cabinet. The Senate Judiciary Committee will consider a bill that would allow parents of adult children to pursue mental pain and suffering damages in wrongful death lawsuits alleging medical malpractice. Current law bars parents from seeking these damages when their adult children do not have surviving spouses or children. The Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee will take up a proposal that would revamp regulations for household moving services. The House Appropriations Committee will consider a bill that would take a series of steps aimed at helping recruit and train law enforcement officers. The House Ways and Means Committee will take up linked proposals that would provide increased homestead property tax exemptions to classroom teachers, law enforcement officers, corrections officers, firefighters, child welfare services professionals, and people in the U.S. Armed Forces or the Florida National Guard. Chief U.S. District Judge Mark Walker will start a trial in challenges to a controversial state law that made elections changes, including placing additional restrictions on voting by mail. The Florida Agency for Healthcare Administration is scheduled to hold a meeting about a proposed rule dealing with neonatal intensive care units. And the Florida Department of Transportation will hold a workshop about a project development and environmental study for the Broward commuter rail from Deerfield Beach to Hollywood. And finally, yeah, it was cold in Florida Sunday morning. The National Weather Service reported West Palm Beach at 37 degrees. Hasn't been that cold in the past 12 years there. Up the East Coast, Vero Beach Way, the record low was tied. That's 30 degrees. It was set in 1978. It was all related to the blizzard moving up the East Coast, but only the wind and some of the cold hit Florida. Tampa's Gasparilla Parade, canceled last year by the pandemic, went off without a problem, but... The only in Florida falling iguanas warnings were all over the place. When it gets below 40 degrees, iguanas who are not from here kind of go into suspended animation and they tend to fall to the ground. Can't say for sure how the iguanas fared, but we do know that the citrus, strawberry and tomato winter crops reportedly suffered no major damage. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.